0: To another podcast episode. I'm the host, Bill Real. I'm sitting down with Carol Hollowell. Carol, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing great. It's a little windy today, but other than that, it's a good day.
0: It is really nice to sit down with you. I've known of you for years, and I think you've known of me for years. And I think this is the first time we're talking face to face. We might have seen each other once or twice before, just in greeting somewhere, but this is the first time we've had kind of an extended conversation. So I'm excited to spend some time with you this morning.
1: Yeah, it's great.
0: Yeah. And the reason we've got you on is and just for the the viewers slash listeners is that uh, Carol started a project, I think, is it eight years ago?
1: Yeah, just about eight years ago. Yeah. Mm
0: -hmm. Eight years ago where you, yeah, where you attempted to tackle uh, homelessness here in Southern Utah. And i just, Uh, about a month ago, uh, maybe a little less than that, was at a function where you were trying to uh, raise awareness and raise uh, financial support for a nonprofit that you uh, founded and uh, run. And uh, when I sat through that, I had an idea of what Switchpoint was, which we'll get into in a moment what it is. But I had an idea of what Switchpoint was, and then you guys blew my mind. You guys are doing the most incredible stuff and I wanted to give you a chance to share that because I think as I've looked at everything you're doing and and looking to do here in the next year or so, um, you're really taking this far reaching approach to tackling um, this, this issue within our geographic area where I live. And um, I, I think you've got real solutions. And I just want to talk this morning about the problem of homelessness and what's going on there, what it takes to address it, the things you guys are doing. And uh, before we do that, is there any, maybe like a brief intro or a bio or anything you want to say about yourself so that people get a feel for you?
1: Sure. Well, I moved uh, here to Southern Utah in 2009 with my husband and we have four sons, but two of our sons were already out of the house at the time. We came from Oregon, Bend, Oregon, and we had just gone through the mortgage meltdown, which I hope is not coming again, but- uh, we were trying to find uh, a fresh start and somewhere warm and sunny. So we just threw a dart at a map and uh, that's where we ended up. We didn't know anybody and, and thought this is a great place to restart. And here we are in, in sunny St. George. What was hard was we were, we were having to reinvent ourselves. And um, both of us had to find jobs. It was, I think, easier for me to find a job and um, Bob ended up, my husband ended up going to North Dakota to work in the oil field like many uh, of men did at that time. And two of our, our our two oldest boys went with him uh, to North Dakota. And I ended up uh, staying here and and finding a job, worked at five county association of governments for a while as the volunteer director. And that's really what launched. Um, I started seeing volunteers who were court ordered and having to volunteer because they were uh, sleeping in the park and trespassing and public intoxication. And so it really started that journey of, huh, there's a homeless problem here and maybe I could fix it. So that's kind of my journey that led me here.
0: When, when we moved here seven years ago, um, I came from a city that was much more urban. And I really didn't see a homeless problem at all. It was really strange. Of course, the housing was much more affordable. And I think the city, because it was a lower income, more poverty prevalent, there were a lot more community resources kind of tackling that. And when we moved out here, it surprised me um, because every time you go to fill up gas at the Maverick or, or whatnot, you have folks who are in that situation and your heart goes out to them. And And I'll just share a little personal story. I love my mom. She died about three years ago from cancer and, uh, incredible woman. I, I couldn't say enough good things about her, but she didn't have patience for the complexity of life. And I remember one time being at a baseball game and on the way out, there was a, uh, a man, uh, who asked my mom if she had any change or something that she could spare. Right. And my mom just immediately like this, she was like, go get a job, you know? and it just struck me i was a young kid at the time and it just struck me that something else was going on here that we 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 could easily look at other people as having the same mindset and opportunities that we had and the reality is every life is different and i often think on this side of life that we really are everyone else just under a different set of circumstances and different disposition and so I walked away from that experience, not quite getting why my mom did it and kind of getting why my mom did it in terms of how she was. Um, She had a hard life and she, she, she just, she figured out how to get herself to a spot where she was able to provide for our family and do things. And she just didn't have any tolerance for, for the complexity of life, not being what she thought it should be. And um, as time's gone on, as time has gone on, I've spent a lot of time thinking about humanity, and how messy it is. And I guess a good place to start off is maybe just to have you tell us um, what the problem is like here in southern Utah, or maybe Utah in general, uh, in regards to homelessness, and and what you think is going on there, and how people who maybe think like my mom, how they could maybe see the problem differently, um, and maybe see a little more humanity here.
1: Absolutely. And, and, you know, Bill, you hit it spot on. There's a lot of education that needs to happen because it's not necessarily ignorance. It's a lack of the understanding of the reasons why. And we all are there sometimes because we're in our own little bubbles, right? And I, I was the same way until I got into it and then started realizing every year, homeless providers across the nation have to participate in what's called a point in time and in january it's always the last wednesday of january we have to do a point in time count and we beat the streets in the middle of the night we have to point you know and and count all the homeless folks we can find and it's not a a perfect method by any means in fact i think it's very imperfect because uh, it's hard to find people in the middle of the night and it's dangerous right but it's it's what they've been doing for years um and in the report that was they haven't Put out uh, the 21 numbers, but in 2020, and you can find it uh, on a website that uh, you can post up there as jobs.utah.gov and, and homelessness. But there were 7,433 homelessness um, in homeless individuals um, for the first time in 2020 in Utah, and there were 10,846 sheltered this year um, in you know in 2020. And during the point in time count uh, we had in our state 2,410 on that one single night and 1,155 unsheltered on, on the street. So if you can kind of see that, that difference in one night when people can go out and try and count, you can find 1,100 of them. But if you look at the whole year of what we actually served as providers, um, you know, we were serving almost 11,000, right? And so it's, it's an interesting little statistic there. Um, Washington County served um, a little over a thousand during that same time period of 2020. Just in our, we only have one shelter here in Washington County, and then in 21 and 22, um, what we've seen, and those that report will come out probably around July, we have seen a dramatic increase and um, in rise in homelessness due to being priced out, and you you touched on that when you were talking about prices of homes were low in the beginning. And then we've seen just, you know, housing costs have just gone crazy, but our seniors and our vets who are on a fixed income have had very little options. And so just this year, we've seen a 53% increase in our seniors becoming homeless and knocking on our door right now. Our oldest homeless person is 92 and that should yeah. make it- every one of your listeners sick to their stomach Mm. Uh, i don't know about you but my dad turns 80 and this year in, in june and i would just be mortified if he was on the street homeless because i'm thinking these are people who worked hard their whole life and maybe they you know didn't have an incredible job and and didn't have big investments They just worked and then they got their little pension and, or they got their social security and that's what they thought they needed. And now they're being priced out because every time a landlord can increase their rent or they're, they were in a mobile home for a while and, and those get sold out and redeveloped, they've been priced out. So we'll talk about reasons of homelessness because I think there's a huge misconception on what are the reasons of homelessness? We we think, oh, bums, right? People are are drug addicts or or they just they want to be they want to be homeless. I'm going to tell you that what I've seen in the eight years and I live this every day. I work seven days a week. Mental illness. Mental illness impacts more than 80 percent of the population that I serve. And I've seen over 8000 people. And so when you talk about mental illness, that is that is a huge issue that's not being addressed in our nation. And then we talk about substance use, and so when when you have mental illness that doesn't get addressed and they don't have insurance, then they have to self-medicate, and then they get hooked on it. And so, you know, and and there's a lot of people who just are, uh, you know, using substance anyways, but you have those two things become the number one reasons for homelessness. And then we look at domestic violence, and we look at being priced out, (coughs) excuse me, but I'm going to tell you what I think. I think the number one reason for homelessness is the catastrophic loss of family. Because those reasons that I just mentioned before are documented in their data and people check the boxes of why they're homeless. But when we have lost support of family and we see people getting, um, you know, booted to the curb for one of those reasons. or What happened in, you know, it started with, you know, you look at the Dust Bowl. And, um, you know, when we first started having financial problems, you know, our first Great Depression, family started splitting apart just because of financial hardships. And we have lost connection to family. You know, when I grew up, um, all my cousins lived on the same street, right? And now I have seven kids in my family and not one of us live in the same state. So that loss of connection to family of who picks you up when you're having a problem, who picks you up when you're the alcoholic, who picks you up when you're the schizophrenic, we don't have that anymore. We don't have that tight knit group anymore that's really picking each other up. And so what's happened is is the the environment is, it's the shelter's problem to be the connection. I yeah. look at the solutions of, okay, now what? right? What has to happen now? Um, we have to build communities. And, and Bill, I think that that's really when I got into this whole thing is, um, I was looking for my, my own community myself. And I thought, you know, these people need me as much as I need them. And that's maybe where I can find a better outcome is if I can help them find a tribe and find success and find support and love, Maybe they'll switch their habits and their, their, um, behaviors and we'll have some successful outcomes. And that's exactly what started happening. And, you know, people say, well, where, where does the name switch point come from? And it was because on a train track, if you can change the direction, that little mechanism on the train, it changes the tracks. And as I started working with these people and listening to them and saying, okay, you don't have family. There's no one I can call. Um, you know, I'm, I'm I'm writing down all their, I'm listening to them and saying, tell me everything. Tell me everything that is, is going on in your life. And I'm trying to get to know these clients. And then I say, if I could fix one thing today, then would you give me a chance? And they're like, okay. So if I said, okay, I found your ID we were able to order some ID today. So now, now you'll have a state ID. That little switch of trust allowed them to open up and, and have this relationship to say, okay, I, I'm going to do what you say and allow, allowed us to case manage. Right. So to me, that reestablishing of, of a tribe, reestablishing of a community has led Switchpoint into this um, ability to not quickly, but really quickly assess what somebody needs, right? And hopefully um, move people into some stability and into some permanent housing once we can identify why they've become homeless.
0: When this all first started, Carol, what, what was the original idea? I mean it, it, i, I could, I'm only imagining that this has gotten uh, so much more uh, so much larger and doing so much more than you originally had planned to kind of do. And I'm just curious, like, what was the original, like, Hey, here's the idea. Let's do this thing and, uh, and see where it goes. And, and then we'll talk about all the places it has gone.
1: <laughs> yeah. The original idea was, um, you know, seeing this gentleman on, on the sidewalk and, and maybe I'll share that story real quick. Um, I was driving to work, uh, and you know it was cold and it was raining, and and um, I I saw this old gentleman scraggly in on the sidewalk in a wheelchair, and it was and it was cold, and I just felt like I got to turn around, and so I did. I turned around and I just kind of rolled down my window and it, and I said, "Hey, where are you going?" And he's, "I'm going to." to smiths to warm up and get a cup of coffee and he was over by the saint george library and by a bush and i said are you living there he says yeah i'm like oh geez let me load your wheelchair into my truck and i'm going to take you to get a cup of coffee and i don't know why because normally you know you'd be a little intimidated and a little scared because it's dark and you're putting this you know homeless guy in your truck but i just felt like i needed to do it and as i started talking to him i realized just by asking him why are you living in that bush (laughs) And, and what happened and he says i lost my wallet i said when five years ago bill it blew my mind and i'm like five years ago you live in this city and nobody's asked you that you needed help or anything five years and you couldn't get to the dmv and he says no and our dmv is like 16 miles away and there's not a bus that goes there. And so I'm like, okay, but nobody asked if he needed help. And so I just said to him, you know what? Today's the day. I'm going to figure this out and we're going to get you some stinking ID and Ray, I'm going to get you into housing. And I was just like, I'm going to figure this out because I could not believe this guy was homeless because he had lost his wallet. That launched my, my mission. And so it took us seven and a half hours. I called the two girls that worked for me and I said, we're, this is what we're doing. And so I had to go to the police station because he'd been arrested 63 times for trespassing and living in a bush and public intoxication. And they wouldn't give me the ID. And then I went to his bank because we knew he had disability, um, but they couldn't give me his ID. And then I went to a social security office and they gave me a copy of his Medicaid, but they couldn't give me a copy of his ID. So finally I get to the DMV with him and because he doesn't have two pieces of mouth, no, we can't give it to him. I'm crying. He's crying. And finally the little gal DMV says, fine, give me $18 and I'll give you his temporary ID. And he looks at it. He starts to cry and he's like, that's me. He hadn't seen himself on anything for five years. And that, was my switch point that was my moment of going holy crap i know what i gotta do for the rest of my life so i called up the city and i said i gotta i gotta change something here and i need to pitch you something and will you give me a chance and they did they really said you're right we got to do something different and three months later we had found a building um, which is where we're at today we used some community development block grant money to purchase it, and, um, and we launched the plan of opening a shelter, but design, designing it as a community resource center to have a lot of collaboration with other agencies to, you know, help get IDs, you know, help get them into housing, um, do job trainings, that kind of thing, right? But then you're saying, did I have an idea past that? Not at the moment. But within six months of that, I realized nobody will hire these people. <laughs> nobody would give them a chance. Right. So you
0: put a roof over their head, no. but you're not really fixing anything. And no. and really, for these folks to be back on their feet, they have to have their own income coming in, and they have to have somebody who has the patience, especially as you're list, or as you're listing it, that mental illness is the uh, perhaps the number one contributor, and as you pointed out, also catastrophic loss of family. And those two probably to some degree go hand in hand, um, because I think we're all fragile, right, the right sort of kinds of circumstances could come along and we all have breaking points. And in uh, some of these folk folks, and maybe a majority of them struggle with mental illness from a young age or, you know, young adulthood. Um, Beautiful. So the first thing you did was to create this shelter and I want to put, and we're going to just kind of put a little slideshow kind of up on the screen. It's just websites, but uh, we'll see them switch around. Um, the, the shelter itself, this was the first thing you did. Uh, how many folks can we, um, can we have in this building?
1: So there's it's 84 beds in, this, okay. in the St. George shelter and uh, we have men, women and families. So um, it's the whole, the whole gamut. And we also have our soup kitchen here. And then um, we decided, oh, geez, um, we need our food pantry here. So we, within that first year, opened up a food pantry. And, and I wrote a couple grants, and we built um, a large uh, pantry in the in the backyard.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm just amazed by what you've done. So the the shelter has 84 beds. Do you know roughly, are you usually around full capacity? What's the?
1: We're always full. Yeah, we're always, always full. In fact, we're writing a grant right now. Um, City council came in February and had voted to allow us to do an expansion. And so we're we're uh, drawing up some plans. We're trying to add on 44 more beds um, because yeah. we've been full since the day we opened, even yeah. though we're turning them through and getting them into housing as fast as we can.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Great. 84 beds and we are hoping to add another 44. Um, that's pretty amazing. And what kind of services, if somebody came, if somebody's homeless in Southern Utah and they find their way to the shelter, what, what are we doing with folks there to help them out? Like, again, we'll go piece by piece. I just want people to see this 20,000 foot view of all the things (laughs) you're doing and where you're having an impact. And I've got questions at various points, but, um, Yeah. yeah. So in terms of the shelter, uh, what does it do for somebody? What is like, what is the average, standard kind of, uh, interaction there.
1: So the standard interaction is, is somebody would come in and we ask them really, what, what do they need? Right. And I I look at it as like a sushi menu of, you know, you tell me because the the typical, uh, experience for somebody in homelessness is somebody telling them what is wrong. What, what do they need? And that's, I, to me, that has been the problem because I need to say, Bill, you tell me. What has been going on with you? And what you you check these boxes, and it might be that you lost your ID, but it also might be I just need some time to chill, and then I'll come out of my shell and tell you my PTSD experience. Um, but so we let the client check the boxes of the things that they think they need, and then we can start that plan. Our requirements are that they would meet with a case manager, and and that begins this action plan. So we have 17 classes that they can attend um from addiction you know like recovery classes parenting classes we have a great circles program that uh, matches them up with a mentor um you know like a middle class mentor um, so that they can learn some strategies if if they're in a family Uh, we've got budgeting classes we do a dave ramsey style um you know financial piece um so we've got all kinds of things that they can participate in we've got a job shadow program so they can hop into any of our businesses and do job shadow training That allows them during their six weeks of job shadowing to build up a resume and a a reference. And we say, this person showed up on time. You know, we um, say, hey, you don't smell very good today. Go back to the shelter, take a shower, put your deodorant on, come back. So we're teaching them those skills, those soft skills that they might have lost. If someone's been chronically homeless for more than five years, they lose a lot of those soft skills, like showing up on time, smelling good, brushing their teeth. Um, how to interact with people. And so we reintroduce all of those things so that an employer is going to accept them back, right? And not fire them in their first three days mm. at McDonald's. Yeah. And then we say to them at the end of six weeks, are you ready? And then we can give them um, a letter of you know, certificate basically to say, hey, they passed our job shadow program and they're ready to move on. Or maybe we end up hiring them in one of our own businesses.
0: Love it, love it, beautiful um is there a time frame on how you said six weeks is there is there folks who stay at the shelter longer because that's really the only place for them it like how does that work
1: yeah sometimes um we try and move them out as quickly as possible because shelter is not a place for permanent living um but we we have had people that have been here longer than that because it's just been impossible to place them but we've had people that have been here you know 20 days um because they're easier to place or we found um them you know reconnection to family or they've been able to find a roommate. But we don't place a time frame like 30 days and you're out. We don't do that.
0: Yeah, totally get it. All right. So there's the shelter. Um you mentioned the the soup kitchen as being part of that. So I'll skip over let me see where I've got this. Um right there. So the soup yeah. kitchen. So uh you added
1: yeah, let me bring up the soup kitchen for a second because we had an amazing relationship with the grace episcopal church for many many years and the soup kitchen was originally there and um, during covid it was a real hardship we we weren't allowed to you know many congregations had to shut down during covid and they have an elderly population and so we brought the soup kitchen during covid um, to the campus and ended up just leaving it here um so The soup kitchen now serves about 120 um, during lunchtime that are from the community and not just um, our shelter population. But the soup kitchen is open to anybody in the community that wants to come and have a meal with us. And so when we're doing our expansion, we're also building a large um, kitchen that will feed actually more people.
0: Gotcha. And obviously an important thing, like some folks aren't, going to really be benefited by the shelter per se. And in those folks, you obviously have to feed to some degree, but you also have other folks who really just maybe need a hot meal. That's right. uh, Yeah. And they're living
1: on, you know, we have a lot of people in our community who live on a fixed income and that might be their one meal of the day. And they're not uh, old enough yet to eat at the uh, senior center. And so they come to the soup kitchen. You know, and, and it gives yeah. them a place yeah. to bond and, and to visit with people as well.
0: Yeah. Um, how many folks can you feed per meal at the soup kitchen right now? You said you said it was hundred and twenty. Is that kind yeah, of where you guys we, are at?
1: We have a, a pretty large pavilion outside, so we don't limit how many we can feed. So we'll yeah. feed as many as wanna come. Yeah.
0: Gotcha. Awesome. Um, so the soup kitchen, which again, I think most communities have that were any of these services available prior to you coming along? The
1: soup kitchen has been been available since before my time. And it was, it was originally, um, at Grace Episcopal church. Yeah. So they've been doing a fabulous job. Yeah.
0: Fantastic. All right. So let me get rid of, uh, let me get rid of that one. And then let's talk for a moment. Um, you mentioned not only the soup kitchen, what was the other thing that was part of the building?
1: Was, uh, the, it was the soup. Yeah, yeah, yeah
0: the, the pantry. So let me see if I've got that here somewhere.
1: So on the pantry, we serve about 600 households every week. So we, we serve a lot of uh, households. Um, we've done about six and a half million pounds of food in the seven years that we've been open, which is, that's a lot of food. Um, so anybody that um, is in a food crisis, um, we, you know, take at the, at the pantry and, um, it's going to help tremendously when we open up our rice garden because we can add some fresh produce to that as well.
0: Yeah. we're going to get into that. That was something I thought yeah, was cool too. When great. I had a chance to listen. So the pantry is essentially a place where somebody can come and get some stock food to take home. Uh-huh. And yeah, um, because obviously there's one thing which is providing a hot meal in the moment because somebody's hungry and they have no food right now. It's another thing when somebody says like, Hey, I'm kind of can afford my house I, I kind of can get by, but I just need to have some food in the cupboard so that I can make something for the kids and take care of our household. So yeah. again, beautiful. You're I just want to cover like because there's so many needs that go into the space and each step along the way, I want to kind of cover the places that you're helping because um, I think what you're doing is fantastic. Um, let's talk about for a moment, the low income housing, which I know isn't just one place now. it's It's something you've been really expanding and doing a great job with. So talk a little bit about that project.
1: Yeah. And I really believe that, you know, our affordable housing is, um, the solution to homelessness, right? You can't solve homelessness without housing (laughs) and, and shelters are not the solution. So let me just uh,
0: say too, I mean, I came, I came from Ohio and again, the city I was talking about that I lived in, you could buy a house, literally you could buy a house for 30 to $40,000. And it would be a, it would not be nice, but it was a house. Yeah. Um. We bought our first home for forty five. We bought our second home for fifty nine thousand. Wow. And you know, I still own the one home back in Ohio and, and rent it out there. That market certainly has gone up, but not crazy. You could still buy a house today for sixty thousand or seventy thousand.
1: Unbelievable.
0: Here today, I mean, we bought our home, um, around two hundred thousand dollars, um. S- four years ago. And now everybody says your house is worth $450,000. And it blows my mind because I have just an average home and, and right. it's nothing special. Yeah. And um, the fact that housing has gone up so much, just it, there is no house in this area that you could buy for less than two fifty dollars to $300,000 minimum. Even a, a trailer home in a trailer park um, will cost you over $100,000.
1: Easy. Okay, absolutely. Easy easy i mean we were just yeah. looking at some and they were 180 for a trailer yeah. house yep. yeah no it's and it's going for cash you can't even get a loan and stand in line no it's going yeah for
0: cash. you get yeah it goes no, above the sell right. price yeah it goes yeah. above the sell price from somebody in california moving this way and and so we've got this predicament where there is no affordable housing for a young couple for a senior yeah. citizen for somebody with a disability somebody with mental illness who's going to be kind of in and out of work maybe at times yeah Um.
1: and yeah, i would talk about that is, it's it's you're hitting it on the head with attainable housing because you know here we have students like our kids, you know that I don't want in my basement, you know anymore. So um, I want them to have housing that they can afford once they're graduating from college or getting a job. They need something that's attainable to them, and then you need the affordable, deeply affordable housing for somebody who is on a fixed income, like our seniors and our vets, or somebody who's you know on a mental illness that is never going to make more than minimum wage. And so that is deeply affordable housing. So we need this whole spectrum of attainable housing, you know, for everybody. Um, Washington County is in this real uh, crisis right now because we, we can't attract teachers, we can't attract policemen, firemen, uh, nursing. We can't attract anybody that is critical to our community because they can't afford the housing here, and the and the positions that are open are not paying enough to pay for the housing, right? And so it's it's a it's a problem. We did our first affordable housing project called Riverwalk um, in a partnership with the city, and so that's over by Mall Drive, um, by the Dinosaur Museum, and we opened it up in November of 2020. The city donated the land, and then I wrote a low-income tax credit um, to the state to um, pay for the rest, and then we, we raised about $3 million in donations um, as our GAP funding, and it's a 55 unit which has one, two, three, and four bedrooms, which is very unusual. But when we did our market study, and you can kind of see this single mom with four kids, we got a problem here in Utah. There's a lot of families. And so it wasn't just, um, you know, single adults. It was families that needed deeply affordable housing, right? And so that's why we did the one, two, three, and four bedrooms. It was full the first month that we opened, and we knew it would be, but at least it got us started. Um, we then went into uh, expanding into trying to purchase hotels and converting them. So we did one in Salt Lake that we opened in November of 21 for seniors and vets, and that's a 100 unit, and we have 130 seniors that are living in there, and that rent is only $450 a month. And right now, when you look at what is Social Security, the average Social Security is $782, so that gives them enough left over. And we provide their breakfast and we pay all their utilities internet and cable so they have enough you know to get by and then the one that we bought here in uh st george is 50 units and um so you know we'll continue to look for projects like that to create deeply affordable housing for our low income you know residents and we're going to look at the whole state not just washington county for that
0: I, i'm curious and maybe you won't have these numbers in front of you, but say this 55 unit uh, complex, um, you've got this low amount that you're asking people to pay. And that, that seems like a reasonable amount. I remember our first house, I think our mortgage payment was $400. Um, that seems like something that a really low-income family can handle. And like you say, a senior citizen on social security, and it's tight, but they can make it. Mm-hmm. Um because you got the land at no charge because you were able to get some grant money and donations, I would assume that that 400 bucks a month, you guys are able to kind of self uh, what's the word I want to use. It's sustainable, -sustainable, self-sustainable, but the cost that they pay. Yeah.
1: yeah. So it doesn't make a profit. It, it barely covers its utilities. Right. So, and and we have to pay the the management of it. So, but, but, but it's not in debt. So none of the properties that we, have would need um they cover their own operations right yeah
0: so and that's and that's important,
1: very yeah. important. Everything it's very important we crucial do has to be um self-sustaining right
0: yeah no and that's my point is that as we go through all of this for all of these parts and pieces to you know this thing kind of pays for a little bit over here or that thing covers itself uh this gives this opportunity which helps us take care of that I want yeah. people to see all the organization that goes into this. So that was the first unit. You guys have added us you said a second unit, right? A second building.
1: Uh, here in St. George and then another one up in um, Salt Lake, right?
0: Yeah. How many, uh, how many apartments or units do you guys have at this point among those three different projects?
1: Uh, let's see, um, about 300.
0: 300, man, amazing. Yeah. And as you're yeah. pointing out, I mean, in this area – you're really the only person in town who's offering housing at a, an affordable rate like that. Like that's, that's to me, is one of the key secrets to solving um, this problem is to ensure that people can have housing that they can afford uh, because so many folks who are homeless just are stuck in a situation where they can't go anywhere Uh, They don't have transportation. They're not, they're not able to just, you know, pick up and go to their car and drive to another cheap place.
1: Right.
0: And uh, they need a place to rest their head and to be able to go home every day and try to figure out how they're going to get work and hold a job. And
1: and it's getting to where that there's really no other cheap places unless they go all the way to Ohio. Right. I mean, it's, it's not cheaper just anywhere else in Utah. And I mean, even in Tooele, so we expanded to Tooele and we've got some housing there now and we've got a homeless shelter there and a domestic violence shelter there and, and a food pantry there. And I mean, so we, we copied ourselves in Tooele and, and it's not any cheaper in Tooele. The housing's not cheaper. And you would think cause it's a smaller community, but it's not cheaper. And so it's not helping the client to kind of pick up and keep moving. If we can keep them sustaining and having some support, we just got to figure out how to help with the housing piece.
0: Just to show you not, not to get off track here, but yeah. this is my hometown of Sandusky, Ohio. Oh and you can see God. the houses aren't yeah. great. They're not nice oh. houses, but they do have running water and they do have a floor and they got a roof oh, yeah, and they've right. got, but you know, yeah. 40,000, 20,000, 49,000, you know, 7,000 for a lot, 49,000 for a house.
1: They build a community there, Bill.
0: Yeah. Let's yeah. Build a so, community but,
1: and move a couple hundred thousand people over there.
0: Yeah. That, and there's another project, right? So, uh, but again, for folks who are watching, who live in Utah, just recognize that young families, senior citizens, people with, uh, uh, mental illness and other other difficulties that get in the way of being able to afford a $300,000 home, right? Yeah. And if me and my wife got divorced tomorrow, neither one of us could afford a house here. And so, That's
1: right. you know,
0: one of us or both of us have to leave. Um, yeah. All right. So the housing, incredible. Uh, I think that is a huge part of, of what you're doing and um, love to hear about that. Let's talk for a moment about the thrift store.
1: Sure. So that was our first business that we decided to open. So after we'd been open a year um, and realized that a lot of our clients um, couldn't get a job right away, we decided, hey, let's open up a thrift store. And a lot of nonprofits do that, and people were donating us items. But the nice thing about a thrift store is there's no cost of goods. And so my background was small business, and so that was an easy thing for me to to say, okay, let's 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 do that. So we opened up our first thrift store in uh 2016 and um it's right across the street from our our shelter in saint george and that gives a great opportunity for volunteers and for our residents to work and for people to donate and really started our job training program and um it's it's been a good uh, Awareness for us because a lot of people shop at the thrift store, you know, a lot of people like to thrift and then we opened up um, our boutique So our boutique we opened up a couple years ago um, That was kind of our higher-end thrift store because you know st. George has some nice uh, Stuff you know, and so it gave us a chance to take the high-end items and move it across town to a different location um, on a thousand East and Red Hills Parkway and have a different feel. And um, so that's been really nice. And it has, you know, we can teach people how to refresh furniture and uh, repaint things. And um, we have donations from uh, stores in the community that give us a lot of free stuff, like Downeasters, that they are, their season's over. And so they're brand new items um, that are, still have tags on them. And so that's been a really um, helpful, you know, where it is higher priced items. You know for us so those are the two kind of thrift uh stores in the area we have um a great thrift store in tooele that um is about 16,000 feet so it's really big it was an old jc and we refresh a lot of items in that store because we we've got the room where they redo all the furniture and, and can repaint it and so we're teaching our clients how to do that how to sand stuff how to put on different knobs how to you know put on a new fresh coat of paint or lacquer something um, and, or put on, uh, you know, some material to put on a different cover or how to recover, you know, benches, that kind of thing. So that's been good skill sets, you know, that they're learning.
0: Yeah, that to me is, again, the, the next step in this process is to help these folks uh, have job opportunities where there's some understanding of what they're coming from and what they need to to kind of learn or adapt to so that they can be employable and, and hold a job and be able to provide for themselves or for a family if they have one. And so by you creating these thrift shops, it's a place for the community to support you by going there and buying things, but also yeah. you're providing job opportunities to the folks who uh, come through.
1: And, you know, one thing that has been, um, I think, not surprising. I mean, I guess it has been, but, you know, my some of my best staff have been the ones that um, started off in the shelter and then we, we have kept. Um, because they are so loyal, and they are so grateful for the opportunity, and they work so hard, and to see them thrive, and to see them change, and have that switch in their life, and feel valued, I, I, you can't replace that, you know, and so it, it's just, it's so gratifying just to see somebody just blossom and thrive in a new environment, and, and you, you just see them feeling, um, you know, so loved and they 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 don't want to screw up, right? And so that they are on time and they they do their job um typically better than anybody else because they they don't want to lose the opportunity that they've been given. Yeah.
0: Studying humanity, I mean, us humans need certain things to thrive, as you're pointing out. We need right. to we need to feel acceptable. We need to feel loved. We need to have some sort of Productivity, right? If we're not accomplishing something or doing something, we tend to kind of have uh, a lower emotional state, uh, a more um, a more a more negative emotional state, and and sometimes depression and other things come into factors there. And yeah. so, by giving somebody a responsibility, giving them something where they can, you know, they can work and earn their own paycheck, and now be able to to pay for the things that are around them that they need. All of that stuff is little by little lifting somebody up and helping them to feel valued and to feel better about themselves and to be able to contribute uh, in ways, as you're pointing out, with the folks that, that do this. I mean, they end up having a much better outlook on life as uh, as they begin to essentially um, fit those responsibilities of having a job and having a place where they're needed and making their own paycheck and you're just doing such a great job to help these folks. And I just really appreciate you. Um, so the boutique, let's uh, get rid of that one. This was a cool one. I, I just was so, uh, I, I, man, I, the things you're doing. Here's a Bed and Biscuits. This is a uh, pet care, pet daycare. Yeah. Or uh, if, I, if I'm if i going on vacation, can I drop my dog off here for mm-hmm. a couple of days?
1: Yep, absolutely. And cats. All right. so we got dogs and cats. Yeah. Not Anything together. else besides
0: dogs and cats? No, no,
1: we don't take snakes or, or tarantulas. Um, so, you know, we, we were going, huh, you know, some of our, our veterans don't do really well in the thrift store. They were really struggling. And, you know, we have a lot of, um, our clients who have pets and many of the shelters, um, did not allow you to bring your dogs to shelter. And we always did that from the very beginning, but it's so flipping hot here, you know, in St. George, that. We're like this is not working very well to have the kennels outside and it's 115 and so we really thought let's let's open up a doggy daycare business and um it's done really well so the um the whole thought process was okay number one it gives you know an opportunity for you know clients who are are traveling down here you know it's it's a very popular area for tourists and so, you know, people are down here all the time coming to visit. And so you can't take your dogs to the park, national parks. And so we have, you know, a lot of people who are visiting that come and, and drop their dogs off. Or you're leaving town, like you say, you go on vacation. So um, we have a pretty nice facility that's right off of Dixie Downs and Sunset, as you can see. And we had a lot of Tuacon students uh, help us paint uh, the building. So that was, it's, it's darling and um and then our upstairs is our cat area but um and then our clients who weren't doing really well in a really bustly customer service type area do awesome and they do amazing with animals because as you know animals don't judge they don't judge uh you know tattoos and um mental illness they they can judge if a character has you know person has good character and so we really saw people um thrive when they were volunteering as um, and working alongside of our trainers, um, so you know we don't. It, there's a a little bit of the community saying, "Well, we just have a bunch of homeless people running your doggy daycare." No, we have qualified dog trainers who then work with our homeless individuals um, and teach them how to become a dog handler. And but there's a, a real intimate bonding with an animal and a person who needs them, and dogs yeah. know that. And so it's, it's just been a really fun thing to watch um, with some of our um, veterans, especially who have really struggled. And those veterans have stayed permanently housed. When they've gone through the shelter, they've worked at Bed and Biscuits, and they found themselves. And they've learned how to love themselves because of this experience.
0: Yeah. Um, awesome. I, again, I, you're right. Like, Folks who are going to, the reason I'm stammering, Carol, just to pause for a moment. The reason I'm stammering stammering is because I want to be, I want to use the right language because these people deserve respect as we're talking about the difficulties that their life has. And I'm just making sure I choose my words carefully. And if I offend anybody in in any way, like I welcome somebody reaching out and say, Hey, it really sounds better if you word it this way or say it that way. And so I'm sorry that I'm stumbling a little bit over my words. I normally don't, but this is an issue where I want to talk about it and I want to hit it from all angles. But I want to make sure that I'm being respectful to the people that your uh, nonprofit serves and uh, and supports and helps. Um, so, as you pointed out, I mean the folks who are going to maybe bring an animal to you, to cat or dog, to be watched. Um, there's always this, you know, when you don't know how things work, you fear the worst because you love your pet. But as you point out, just like any other job, there's supervision and there's supervisors, and the folks who are new to serving in this capacity. Are going to have a serious amount of supervision, that's and once right. somebody demonstrates that they're responsible, just like in any other job, they get the chance to have more autonomy and uh, less supervision, and that's the way it should work. That's right. Yeah, beautiful. So that was a cool one. I, I was really and just kind of tickled and uh, kind of chuckled when I saw that you guys were doing that. I, I could never have imagined um, the, the the far scope of what you guys are doing. So yeah, sure, really cool. Sure. Let's talk for a moment. I don't know why it's not opening. It was open this morning.
1: What was that one?
0: The cross, uh, crossrecovery.org.
1: Oh, crossover recovery?
0: Yeah, sorry, crossover crossoverrecovery.org. For whatever reason, oh. that website isn't working at the moment, but. Oh, I don't know um, why, yeah. Yeah, it was working this morning, but no biggie. Okay. Um, talk about that for a minute, the recovery center.
1: Okay, so um, yeah, again, we were, one of, one of the big things, I'll just point that out is every time we see a gap in our clients um journey and they're not being served by, by another agency or or by the community we, we have to step up to the plate right i mean we just can't let it go and so we're like oh man you know no one is serving the medicaid uh clients in um substance use um it doesn't make enough money there's lots of drug rehab if you were private pay it's big money if you are private pay a drug rehab, and so we thought we gotta do it. We just we have to because it's such a it's such a big problem, and and we get them from jail, and then they come to this shelter, and then they go back to the street because no landlord wants them. And so it was just the cycle that was happening. So we opened up a, um, a rehab center um, three years ago in uh, up in Hildell and um, it was a perfect home. It had 19 bedrooms and 14 baths. And so it was a, it was a good setting to handle men that needed um, recovery. And so that environment allows us to have them, you know, between 60 and 90 days, have a really intensive um, therapeutic environment. And then we move them from that to um, housing. And then we can keep them in an intensive outpatient environment. And they can do that with us or um we can uh, you know get them hooked up with someone else but normally they'll continue with ours because medicaid will continue that and and then we can help place them into jobs so we're trying to create that continuum of care and allow them to get back into um society right um because normally if you have somebody who's had a, a big history of drug use usually there's criminality with that and there's a lot of prison time with that. And so we're trying to break that stigma and, and break break those patterns, right? And so that's why we created crossover recovery.
0: Love it. You mentioned men. Is this a male-only facility?
1: It's a male-only facility, right?
0: Yeah. And 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 talk about that for a moment. I, I understand, I'm guessing that there are logistical problems and and some concern about having that be not just men. And you know, so we, my...
1: we started it for the first six weeks as dual, and it was a yeah. very, very bad idea. Um, yeah. um, they were too focused on each other instead of recovery for that first six weeks. So totally, that uh, makes sense. Yeah, yeah, so we'll, we'll try and look at uh, female house down the road, but it's yeah. not a good idea to put them together. <laughs> Is
0: it significantly more men than women that are in that predicament?
1: Um, in our, in our situation, yes. Um, we know that there's women, um, you know, that we, we that we deal with um, that are on Medicaid and that need it. Um, but we, we do have more men. So I would say right now it's probably 70, 30.
0: Yeah, yeah. that makes sense. Um, that's kind of what I would have expected. All right. So, um, how many folks you said use you it 19 beds, 14 baths,
1: correct? Yeah. So we can, okay. we can have, um, we're, we're licensed to do 42 men up there. Um, but we like to keep it around 30, 32. Gotcha. That's do uh, you want to handle.
0: Love it. Um, yeah, another great, again, if we're going to help out this segment of our society, we've got to have some response to those who struggle with addiction of one sort or another, right?
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. So beautiful. Love that as well. All right. So there is that let's talk for a moment. Um, let's see here. So this is, I couldn't find a thing on your site yet, but this is something you guys are in the middle of working on. If I'm not mistaken, this is not up and running yet. Correct. Which one? This is, oh, I'm sorry, i got to put it up on the screen, don't I? This is the uh, 24-7 child care facility.
1: Okay, so, um, yeah, so it, the pictures, yes, too bad you couldn't have the, the pictures that are almost done. So this will be done next week. So it'll gotcha. Be, yep. In fact, if you go to um, switchpointchildcare.org, pull that up.
0: Switchpointchildcare.org. I think I spelled that wrong. Give me a second.
1: Huh. So there's What's our, that? that's, so that's the website so they can um, get join the waiting list now. So yeah, we'll be finished next week. And so this again was a gap. And as we we're working with families that are in poverty, um, you know, they get non-traditional working hours. So you work weekends, you work night shifts, you even have to work till seven o'clock at night, uh, or you work um, a swing shift, there's no childcare. And so we were seeing that it was keeping families in poverty because they couldn't take the job that was paying more at Family Dollar Distribution or Walmart or Lighthouse um, because they didn't have any childcare. So we decided to open up this 24/7 childcare um, because it would allow families to have an affordable, um, safe, accessible place for their children to be while they accepted those non-traditional hours. Um, so we're, we're really excited for this to open up and it's on uh, uh, 200 East and Tabernacle and it is turning out just absolutely adorable. Um, there's vouchers that families qualify for um, through Department of Workforce Services that um, help them pay for childcare if they're eligible. And then if not, they, um, you know, can pay uh, their tuition. But most of the families that we work with are eligible for um, a child care subsidy.
0: Love it. Um, just for the purpose of transparency, uh, who who watches the kids here? Like, what's the situation in yeah. this term?
1: So we have highly qualified staff. In fact, our director has um, a master's in early child care development, um, and she's um highly qualified she's worked for the state as well as by county and child care um development and uh so then her staff is is also trained and so there's lead teachers uh, in each one of those age groups so we have we'll take infants up to 11 years old Mm -hmm. and then um you know so every one of those um staff members will have you know cpr and first aid train uh and, and we just we We know that these children need there's something about aces, and I want to talk about that for a second. An ACE is an adverse childhood experience. And many children that live um, in poverty experience them one way or another. And so uh, an adverse childhood experience can be um, a parent has been incarcerated or a parent has uh, they've seen drug use from a parent or, um, they've seen, you know, uh, b- violence in the home or violence against themselves. Um, and so there's, there's like 19. Some scores, you know, use 19. Some scores use 30. But these adverse childhood experiences can really dictate um, how the child turns out, <laughs> you know, in, in layman's terms. Um, and what kind of criminal behavior or, um, you know, I want to say it. Um, we, we're trying to say if we can eliminate some of these ACE uh, experiences for them or help them overcome them at an early age, yeah. we think that we can break the cycle of poverty for them because they're going to experience something different than if they wouldn't have had this experience with us at Stepping Stones. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. Instead of being instead of being reactive to a problem that's already in front of you because someone shows up at the the shelter – you're now trying to affect children's lives so that these aren't uh, folks who are going to need your program later on. And hence, you're also, again, diminishing the number of people who are in a place uh, in life where they need this support. All Right. right? The the goal is to help these folks and to reduce the number of these folks if at all possible.
1: Right. And even if they're experiencing at home, they're going to get the opposite um, in their life. While there, so instead of being an eight-year-old and being the primary caregiver, which creates an ACE in itself, now that eight-year-old gets the support and guidance that they need, um, and so we're hoping to kind of flip those over on its head by keeping these children in a safe environment.
0: Yeah, and as you're pointing out, I mean there are situations where, you know, it's a single mom. The only way that she can get by is she has some job that works the evening or works the night shift. And in the past, pe- parents, these parents in these situations are stuck between a Sophie's choice of allowing their oldest kid who isn't old enough to watch the younger kids yeah. and essentially leave their home alone with these children in it or to have some sort of resource like this or not go to work. And right. the latter really isn't an option because it, it ends up just uh, compounding the problem.
1: That's right. Yeah. yeah. And I was talking with um, Christy Pike, who's the director of Washington Children's Justice Center, and and that's exactly the same thing that they are dealing with all the time is these ACE scores, right? And they're, we're seeing these same type types of children. And so if we can look at this together as, okay, um, we don't want the 8-year-old being the primary caregiver because um, things can happen um, when they don't know how to address a stranger coming into the home. And so if we can um, get – we and we can have the capacity for 275 children a day during a 24-hour period at Stepping Stones. That's, that's taking a lot of these children who are in a vulnerable situation, you know, kind of out of that dangerous situation and putting them in a safe space. So I think it's going to be a big game changer. You're you're muted.
0: Sorry about that. So let's add up. um, Yeah. And I think, by the way, great thing. I think that is tackling the problem from multiple angles and really love it. Um, this was another cool thing that I thought, uh, I kind of chuckled at and thought, man, you guys are just doing so much more than I, I would have thought you were doing. Talk to us about this
1: rise garden. Oh my gosh. And yesterday I was up there and, uh, our first little baby uh, plants are like a half an inch big in their little trays. They're, they're going to get mm. put into their towers here in, a, in another week or so. But yeah. So, um, during COVID, um, I did a pitch to Community Foundation of Utah and um, to to talk about, hey, we really were in a food desert during COVID. And we barely got anything during our grocery rescue from um, Utah Food Bank. And it wasn't Utah Food Bank's fault. It's there wasn't enough coming from the grocery stores as leftovers. And so um, I wrote this grant to um, build this huge greenhouse with all these towers so that we could produce fresh greens. And um, herbs and tomatoes and strawberries um, for ourselves. And we have a garden, but the garden um, was reliant on culinary water and it's very hot here. And so I, I just felt like we were wasting a lot. So this will save us about 98% water and 90% power. And we'll be able to produce 100,000 plants a year in our garden um, in this greenhouse. And so this, we have 170 towers that look just like this. And um, and it, we just did our first 5,000 plants uh, that are in their little trays. And so we'll be doing our first uh, harvest in June. So we're really excited about um, how this can be uh, added to our nutritional database for our clients, both in our soup kitchen and in our pantry. But we'll also be selling it to the community and uh, to some local restaurants. So next business coming soon.
0: Man, I love it. And as you're pointing out, I mean, we live in an area that, for all practical purposes, there's almost no rainwater a year, right? Yeah, and all of our water comes from various other places. And uh, to you know, there's a lot of communities all across the country that create gardens like this. But you've really taken uh, seriously the conserving of water and energy, and um, so that's a really kind of a cool f- feature as well to what you're doing. And as you're pointing out, this will supply uh, food. Uh, in lots of other directions, as you pointed out, there's going to even be private places that buy yeah. from you to supplement what they're doing. I, I just think yeah. that's incredible. You've got so to be really proud is of all
1: The water comes from those little tubs at the bottom and recirculates. And so every hour it, it comes from the bottom of the tub um, and the, the tank and goes up to the top and then trickles down. So it only waters itself five minutes every hour. And so you, you just have zero waste. And so once it's recirculated so many times, Then we just will put it onto our grass. And the only thing that you add to it is trace minerals. There's no fertilizer. There's no, um, you know, no, nothing that um, we can't call it organic because there's no soil. But it is truly a a really healthy way to go. So it'll be exciting.
0: You froze up there for just a moment. Sorry about that. No biggie.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, So it's a really... Productive, healthy way to, to do yep. this. You're, yep. yeah, and, and you're you're really tackling it really well. I just, again, it super impressed. Um, let me pull that off the screen for just a moment, and then uh, essentially at that point, um, those are kind of all the things that I'm aware of that you're doing. I'm curious if there's any other facets that we didn't list out there, but also, are, what are the are there any other big ideas that are kind of being thought about at the moment? <laughs>
1: Yeah, you you didn't get my muffin tops.
0: <laughs> oh, I don't even know what that is. What are we What are we doing here?
1: <laughs> so in Salt Lake, um, so when we opened up our hotel, it had a great kitchen that we remodeled, and uh, Seinfeld, you know, uh, back in the day, had some great episodes, and so you know, the muffin tops uh, was a funny one, and so um, our muffin top kitchen business is um, where we have um, a lot of our little residents there that they're all seniors and our average age up there is 72 but they um, are uh, working to earn a little bit of extra money off their social security but they help us bake muffins and then we sell them to um vending to go into large businesses around the Silicon valley <laughs> the Silicon slopes um to put in the vending machines at these big businesses and so our muffin business um we have just started we hope to be doing up to 2,000 muffins a day and so um it's just the tops i mean we ha- has a very little bottom and a big top and so muffin tops. my
0: favorite part of the muffin anyway it's, right
1: exactly it's the yeah. best part of the muffin so muffin tops um yeah so that's that's our latest business is our muffin top business
0: that's what i do i, I tear the top off and eat that first and then i kind of don't enjoy and the I, rest of it as much
1: pick at the bottom yeah yeah bottom. love it
0: <laughs> is is there any website for that or is that kind of its own separate thing away from all of this?
1: Yeah, we're just working on our website and so I'll have to shoot it to you next. Um, yeah. yeah. We should have it done here. Uh, no sweat,
0: our- but that's, that's another cool thing. So now yeah. you're essentially getting into retail. You're, yeah. you're selling a product. So again, it gives, it provides a job opportunity. It's got income coming in. Um, beautiful. Again, can't say enough about uh, that. Any other ideas that are kind of coming down the pike? Or anything else you want to mention in terms of that before we get into, uh, just talking about the reach that you're having and, um, how people can be supportive of what you're doing.
1: No, those are all the great ideas for today. Okay. Well, love it. For, yeah. We'll, we'll, love we'll, it. We'll, love it. That alone. we'll get into what's going on next. Yeah.
0: Cool. So let's go over some of the th- ways in which people can help. I'll throw some things up on the screen. You can tell folks about uh, what these are. Uh, this one here says the Switchpoint society. What's uh, what's this?
1: So that's just our monthly donor base. Um, It's really important for us Um, when people pledge on a monthly basis. um, It helps us kind of budget out um, long term. And instead of doing a one time, it allows somebody to say, hey, I'll do, you know, $100 a month or $40 a month or, you know, whatever that number is, it just allows us to say, okay, great. That helps us figure out what we could do, you know, to help so many families or, and you can kind of see as an example, Forty dollars a month can provide bus passes, or you know, hundred dollars a month provides fifty hot meals at the soup kitchen. So it just allows us to take that amount of money and know what we can do on a monthly basis. So that's yeah, totally. what the society does, and it just yeah, helps I, us build up our donor base on on uh, on a long term. Yeah.
0: And just you know, doing a nonprofit on this side. Uh recurring donation, somebody who sets up 10 bucks a month or 15 bucks a, a month. Deal. Yeah, It is, it gives me and, and our board of directors and uh, our podcasters who we pay. It gives them some sense that, Hey, this is working. They can, we can count on it. It's dependable. Yeah. Um, and, and so for folks who are out there, if you're looking at this presentation on switch point and you're thinking about donating, I'll tell you my two cents. Uh, if, if you're going to give a hundred bucks one time, If you gave if you gave ten bucks a month instead, it it helps Carol and her staff uh, be able to plan better on what they can do with your money, Mm -hmm. Um, and and it gives them a lot more security knowing that next year the donations will be in a certain range, and so that they can plan better for the future as well. So just yeah, we try to to, inundate
1: people, you know, with a bunch of spam, you know, but we do like to keep people in the know. So. When you do join the Switchpoint Society, we do tell you about, hey, we're doing this garden. You know, do you want to know about it? Or, hey, we just opened a doggy daycare. So, it, you know, we try and let our, our donors who are regular know what we're up to next. And, um, and it makes them feel like, hey, uh, at least I'm part of your society now. <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh, this so, one is in kind needs.
1: Yeah, and that's that's huge for us because, as you know, and in kind, um, if we don't get it by in kind, we got to buy it, and um, it takes it takes a lot to um, operate. I think now we've got you know 17 different kinds of locations, and so when you're thinking about um, you know toilet paper, uh, we got a a lot of people, right, and so or garbage sacks or um, when you paper plates or anything like that. So when you look at, we try and keep it fresh. Um, well, we do keep it fresh because we know exactly what we're running out of on certain things. So anytime somebody wants to do um, a drive with their neighborhood, you'll notice on what what are the things that we're um, running out of or what are the things that are the top, you know, 10 things that we got to have. So those in kind that you can come and drop off anytime at Switchpoint, um, those, those are huge to us on in kind uh, donations. We just had a great group from um, a real estate office yesterday came and did a, a drive. Plus they helped us put together about 50 towers. So Joe Ayers real estate group came yesterday, um, and, and helped us. And so you'll see a soup, soup kitchens, shopping list, and then our regular shelter shelters list.
0: Love it. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. There's that now volunteer opportunity.
1: Yeah. So, yeah. um, we cannot do this without a huge, you know, cadre of volunteers. Um, you know, it's, it's, it cannot be done. I mean, my budget would just be <laughs> outrageous. It's already uh, huge. If, if I had to do everything I, I do with, with staff, it would just be crazy. Um, we need volunteers in every single facet. And so when you look at all these different kinds of opportunities, volunteering um, you know there's a lot of things that people could do to help us and now we got to add on our whole garden uh, aspect because you know there's going to be you know, like, you know it says gardening there but now we got to change it to our tower garden because that's going to be different you know but um, there's a lot of stuff that goes on here and and we we do require and ask our residents to do a lot of stuff too but it's just a lot of stuff that goes on to um, meet the needs of the thousands that we serve every single day.
0: Man, love it, love it. I uh, I'm anticipating being uh, most likely fully retired next year, and I've already been thinking I need to go back out and put a day or two out into the community. So uh, right. January first, sometime around then, I'm sure you're going to hear from me. So yeah, I'm excited to yeah. to work with you. I think you're doing great things. Uh, so there's that um, shop Amazon. That's a simple one, people. Simple the the one. trouble yeah. the the trouble here, and we do this too the trouble here is it really needs to be in front of the person all the time, right? Like every time they go to Amazon, they have to go to this thing. So my two cents, yeah,
1: you can set it up as that being your, um, the login part is, is that friends of switch point is your login as the smile Amazon. Yeah.
0: Yeah. The easiest way to do it is just to put up into the top. So for instance, where I've got, I think up here somewhere I had Amazon, but maybe not, but Amazon just on the top of my little dashboard, having it up there, and, uh, and having it already connected to that smile. Uh, mm-hmm. so that every time I go to order something off Amazon, a couple cents goes to the charity that I select. Yeah. Um, and so for folks who want to support SwitchPoint, um, figure out a way that you don't have to think about it every time mm-hmm. and you go to Amazon and it automatically puts you as, uh, putting a few cents towards SwitchPoint.
1: Yeah. Yep.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Cool on that one. And then legacy giving thoughts. Yeah, there?
1: That's, that's a big deal. Um, we have a lot of people who are retiring, you know, like you, Bill, um, and so you know, legacies—the um, only way to really create sustainability, you know—I um, won't be here forever, and and uh, you know, neither will you. And so, when you when you think about what keeps a nonprofit um, that wants to do good things sustainable, it's really people who start to leave legacies and. Um, People, you know, put their nonprofit in their will, um, and so that that takes a while to build up, right? And so we really want people to start thinking about that. And you know, Best Friends has done a great job doing that. They've been around a long, long time, but we want people to think about us too. So we're really trying to get that out there to say, hey, put us in your put us in your legacy. And um, yeah. it's pretty easy to do, but any portion will we'll be happy with.
0: Yeah. yeah, And this is a big deal too. I've got a friend who up in Kanab and works for best friends and uh, talk, you know, we're just talking about nonprofits, hers and the one she works for and ours. And it is, it's a big deal for, uh, an entity like yours again, to have some sense of funding coming in, in the future and folks who have already, uh, gotten maybe to the backside of life and they've got some extra money around and they want to do some good in the world. Um, Switchpoint is doing, uh, I think, a fantastic job. And the biggest thing I think when people are giving is they want whatever they give to to be responsible with their funds. And as you can see through today's conversation, uh, Carol and her staff are just doing a beautiful job of expanding and continually trying to find new ways uh, to help a segment of our society that needs some help. Yeah. And so, thank you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there, there's that. And I think that's the last one because the next one up is the twenty four seven childcare, which we've already yeah. talked about. Yeah. Uh, any other thoughts from you on, you know, again, our society right now seems really fragile and, you know, I'm watching my my uh, investments over the last couple of weeks go down. It's been turbulent yeah. over the last couple of years and it makes me nervous. Like any moment things could be much more difficult than they are today and uh, which is also makes you kind of knowing what funds are coming and being able to get your word out so that folks who want to give, have access to, to give to your charity, uh, to give to your nonprofit, to help you guys. Uh, Any other thoughts from you on um, folks either supporting you guys or things you're doing or anything else you want to say that uh, we haven't covered yet?
1: Yeah. I mean, one of the things that, you know, people ask is, you know, how do we know it's working? You know, is our approach working better than other, um, shelter approaches or other, you know, nonprofit approaches? And I'm going to say undoubtedly yes. And and the reason I think that is, you know, we have um, gotten a lot of calls from other areas, other states. Um, and and that's why we're expanding. It's not because I have been searching for them, but because they're searching us out, right? So like Tooele, they called us in, in October of 19. And, and now here we are building um, a pretty big campus up there. It's a 10-acre campus that will house 66 permit supportive housing units, plus a big shelter and um, 24-7 childcare center. So we're duplicating the entire thing all over again in Tooele. And, and then again in Salt Lake, And you know where, where they called us and then we went, went up and, and uh, ran an overflow and then ended up just saying, hey, let's just buy the hotel where we were. Mm-hmm. And so as we look at that kind of approach and say, it cannot be Band-Aids we are in an environment that is so volatile and like you're saying we don't know what's going to happen but we know it can't be that good (laughs) and so we're going to continue to be as aggressive as we can and and i think that the cities and counties that are approaching us know that and so we're going to um continue to grow in that area because um we we want to solve a problem and when our our approach can be copied right and and we are going to be implementing it into other communities and we want people to call us for that because i see this as a solvable problem and i don't want um our vulnerable population to be on this on the street when they don't have to be and so to me I, I i just think as you know as a parting kind of um parting comment would be you know what um If all of us could have that one moment of reflection, which would be what I would call a a rear view mirror moment of, I wish I would have looked back. It's do something now, right? If you didn't do it before because you thought you were too busy or you had, you know, uh, other things on your plate, do something now uh, to help the vulnerable population uh, and, and change the world, you know, and because it it has to be done and it can't be all on just you know a few of us that are that are paddling as fast as we can right and so i i just see us um i i see us having a lot of impact you know a switch point but i see us needing a lot of people coming to the table and saying hey i've got a few acres i'll donate it to you if you can put some houses on it you know whether that's tiny home communities or whether it's you know um building more things on it but we we will continue but we need people to understand the issues of homelessness and that's not always just about people who are you know criminals it's about truly people who don't have the means to do any better
0: yeah there's there's a lot of places out there doing good in the world and and they all need funding they all need support but this you know if you're in utah you know you're not just serving southern utah you have now got uh, facilities and, and doing projects and, and helping out people in various areas. Um, so one, it's serving you the greater Utah area, which I think is just amazing. Um, number two, it, it, to that degree, it's local. Number three, you've been responsible from all that I've seen and, and, and heard and, uh, from feedback from others and from the various projects that you guys have, you're being responsible with funding. Um, you're serving a, a segment of society that is in great need. And so, for folks out there who want to do some good in the world, I can't think of a better thing to send your money to uh, than Switchpoint. And I say that as somebody who wants donations, right? I'm running a nonprofit. And I would say, if you're listening to this and you want to do great good in the world, uh, skip sending something to Mormon Discussion and uh, send it to Switchpoint. Uh, I think you're helping real people in real time. And so. Uh, thank you very much for for your time this morning, Carol. And, thanks um, for having
1: me.
0: Yeah, I, I appreciate you, you, and I again I know of you, and I consider you a friend from a distance, and uh, just think you're amazing at what you and your staff are doing. Well,
1: wow, thanks so much. Really appreciate okay. you. All right. Okay,
0: have, yeah. Have an awesome day, and right. uh, and get back at it.
1: All right. Thanks a lot. Okay. okay have a great. Have.
0: Bye-bye. Take it easy. Bye.